¿Quieres pedo, güey? No, chale. Chale, chale, chale. ¿Quieres pedo? No, chale. chale. Ya sabes que a mí me vale. Me vale. ¿Quieres pedo? No, chale. Chale. Welcome to Suplexes and Cervezas with Chavo Guerrero Jr. I'm your host, Chavo Guerrero Jr. Hey everybody, thanks for jumping on the podcast today. It's looking a little cloudy and overcast over here in uh, Southern California. I'm always uh, tooting the horn of uh, what I believe is the greatest the greatest place on earth, uh, Southern California. But today's looking a little cloudy and cold and um, kind of waiting for that sun to come back out was thinking today that uh, I really love doing this podcast just because, man, I really get to talk with people that are my friends that I don't really get to see too much anymore, um, you know, living in a different place and uh, not working in the same um, industry all the time. Um, you know, you lose touch with a lot of people. So it's really cool to be able to actually get on this podcast and just, man, just talk about being on the road and just the times that we had and all the good times that we had with uh, with all of these uh, guests. It's, um, it's, it's a lot of fun to catch up with my friends. It really is. I hope you're enjoying listening as much as I'm enjoying talking to them. And I was also thinking, God, what a really cool job. I'm sitting there in my own house working when I want, basically, <laughs> just enjoying something that I love to do. Doesn't get any better than this. I hope you're all enjoying your... Uh, your jobs and your lives also, it's uh, something to strive for. I know we've all worked so hard to get to where we're at, and it's really cool just to be able to enjoy the fruits of your labor. So if you haven't made it to where you're at, keep pushing, keep going. You'll get there. Just uh, perseverance and sacrifice, you'll get there. And uh, something that I've definitely done and uh, so much more to come for me. So it's a good life. Today on the pod, I have a good friend of mine, a guy that I've been in many different organizations with, uh, with WWE and Lucha Underground, uh, transitioning into Hollywood with Glow and uh, some other TV shows and more to come for sure. But um, this is Marty Elias, was the senior referee at WWE, and uh, we talk about how he made it there. Pretty cool, interesting story of how he really just had to want wrestling and no one was looking for him and nobody gave it to him and he just you know kept pursuing it and kept kept trying and made it to the bigs even refereeing one of the greatest wrestlemania matches of all time and some people think the best wrestlemania match of all time the undertaker versus Shawn michaels what a phenomenal match i still get goosebumps thinking about that match but Marty was the referee in that match that Shawn Michaels actually asked him to be in. And what a lot of people don't understand is that the referee can make or break your match. And especially a match of this high caliber at this location at WrestleMania, you really have to be the best at your job to be there. So for Marty to actually make it there is a definitely a testament to him. Uh, also talk about his time being at the Whiskey A Go Go in L.A. and all the other places like the Troubadour and the Rainbow Room and all the places like that because he was such a big rock and roll fan and how much rock and roll influenced his life. And just to hear all the bands that he's seen and the times that he's had at these little places and uh, seeing these bands, these huge, massive, worldwide bands, world-known bands start off um, as really nobody except for people in the street 
knowing them and getting the flyers from the actual band handing out, you know, putting them on cars and telling everybody to come check out their show tonight at uh, these little venues. So really, really cool, iconic for sure. And this is a guy who's made it to both the echelon in both of those businesses. So it's really cool. I hope you enjoyed this talk with one of my really good friends, Marty Elias, WWE referee, rock and roll, roadie, and groupie. And it starts right now. Everybody, thanks for joining in today. Today we have uh, my boy, uh, ex-WWE referee, ex-Lucha Underground referee, ex-Glow referee. We got you all over the place. Uh, and current, always a metal fan, uh, Marty Elias, my boy. What's going on, brother? How you doing, man? Thank you for having me here, Chavo. Good morning, man. And, yeah, uh, man. Bro, I, I'm excited to do this, man. We've been talking about it. Huh? We've been talking about doing this a little bit, but I'm been talking. I, we're I talking for a on. minute. Yeah, man. That's what I love about doing this podcast is I really get to catch up with all my boys, you know, and girls and, uh, yeah. you know, kind of, you know, truth the shit stuff that we wouldn't necessarily do all the time, you know? So yeah, it's kind of cool, you know, so it's cool to, to, to do this thing. Absolutely, man. Looking forward to it. And you know what, dude, I'm going to ask you straight up. Is anything off limits? Is there anything you want to talk about? Anything that's taboo or whatever? Because, you know, that you and I can, you know, <laughs> you're not kidding. Nothing is off limits. <laughs> yeah, I should be asking you that. Is anything off limits? But no, nothing's off limits, man, for me. But uh, no, dude, dude, you know me, man. I, I'm easy, man. I'm, uh, yeah. <laughs> you know, one of these guys, you know, that I uh, don't say much. But when I do, man, I, I, I make it count, so to speak. No, 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 for sure, man, for sure, dude. I, I, I appreciate that. That's why I think why I like you and why I don't. Thank like you. you. <laughs> yeah, and, and and that's why you know you and I are putos. <laughs> that's it. That's it. That's it, man. Hey, man. So, dude, growing up, man. You know, you've been in the wrestling game, but growing, were you a wrestling fan growing up? Yeah, I uh, actually started um, watching professional wrestling uh, because my little brothers used to watch it, and mom and dad, when my dad got out of prison. Yeah, they would go work yeah. odd jobs and stuff. Uh huh. And you know, so what they would do is they would go work on the weekends and stuff. And my little brothers were little fucking brats, and right. Robert and Ruben. So uh, yeah. they um, wouldn't behave. And the only thing that that calmed them down and what got their attention was putting on professional wrestling. Oh, really? So yeah. So me being the the older brother and the babysitter and stuff, I had to actually sit there and watch it with them because this was the only thing that calmed them down. Mm. And from sitting there those times and and those days and stuff and everything, I just started getting ingrained with it and started, wow, this is cool, man. This is, and then when I turned 18, I had my first car and I started taking my brothers to the LA sports arena and, and, and I started taking them to a bunch of independent stuff around here. And it just started uh, progressing for me. And when I went to my first live event, there was something about the, the magic of it, man. Just, just the whole environment, man. Just the electricity of it. No pun intended. But it was something that just grabbed me and told me that I, I could do this. I could do this. I didn't know how I was going to do it, but I knew that I could do this because music was always my first love, as you know. Right, right. And I always wanted to be in Kiss, but that never happened because I was a poor Mexican, you know, on welfare and food stamps. So that wasn't going to happen. So I started getting ingrained with professional wrestling, started loving it. And I started following people and and I just started watching it, started collecting all the VHS tapes and reading all the magazines and all that other good stuff that, you know, that you do, especially back then, pre-internet and pre-everything that we know today. So 
you know, I was trading tapes with people and, 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 and uh, just looking for anything that I could find. And uh, it, it just started happening. And then uh, I actually reached out to Paul Roma, who is my compadre, you know, um, and I, I hit him up and I said, hey, I said, is, are there any wrestling schools that you know about? Paul Roma and, from uh, the old, uh, um, was worthy the young Power and Glory, Power, Power and Glory, Glory, yeah. Parker, him and uh, um, uh, what was his, the uh, Hercules, Jim, well, yeah, and then and he, he was also Jim Powers, yeah, he was the young Jim, Jim Powers, Stallions, young Stallions, Jim pa- yeah. yeah, with Jim, with that's when I first saw him in WWE. Paul Roma, uh, and also was became a horseman for a minute there. Yes, he did. Yes, he did. And then uh, Paul ended up tagging with Paul Orndorff from Pretty Wonderful. That's right. Oh, yeah, that's right. Yeah, he's had some tag team partners. That's right. I forgot about yeah, that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, uh, you know, and it was cool because I got to hang out with Paul back then and and, and really get to, um, and it's funny because the way I met Paul is I actually was a fan. And I and, and again, I, I would always go, I always go, and I would always be there. And it's like, hey, I'm here again. You know, so every time wrestling was around, I was always showing up. So Paul took a liking to me, and uh, we just became friends, man. And ultimately, Where was you know, at? I... Uh, this was here in California. Like Cali. every time, yeah. every time they, they would come around or whatever, mm-hmm. you know, I would always show up and stuff. And for some godforsaken reason, I would always end up running into Roma and we just became buds and, you know, he befriended me and, you know, um, we, we, we started hanging out all the time. And then, uh, he, uh, in August of 91, I, I, I went out to New York and I, uh, baptized his daughter for him, you know? And, uh, oh, wow. yeah, yeah. So it, it, it's been cool. And, um, for me, it was just getting ingrained with, 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 with what they were doing and stuff. And, and back then, everything was a lot more kayfabe and stuff. You know, you're, you're talking late 80s, early 90s, man. And, you know, so even though I was backstage, I had all the long hair and all that shit. Nobody really gave me, you know, a hard time because they knew that I was one of Roma's guys. But I wasn't, you know, that, that mark or whatever. I was just a long haired guy hanging out with Roma. You know, and, and it was cool because I got to meet a lot of the boys back then and they were always cool to me, man. They were always cool to me and, and they didn't treat me like a mark, which was really, really something, you know, that I appreciate, especially now me knowing right. what I know today and stuff and being part of the business that they really, you know, took a liking to me and, and I wasn't treated as a mark. Yeah, that's cool. That's cool. Who, who yeah. trained you? How'd you get in the I actually, like, How'd you decide? So now coming becoming being a mark backstage, not a mark, but actually um we're all marks you know you have to be to be in this business yeah but who'd like when you've decided if i decide like hey you know what i want to make this little leap and see if i can do this who where'd you go i uh actually paul suggested that i go to jesse hernandez jesse because Je- i've known jesse brother 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 you know so uh Paul suggested Jesse Hernandez because mind you, Jesse was a freelance referee back in the day in the eighties and stuff for them, you know, and Jesse would always work with them and stuff. So all the boys knew Jesse because Jesse would do all the West coast stuff and everything. And plus, you know, he was with Mike LaBelle and everybody when they, um, and dude, I'm going beat now. So, uh, um, that's how we got, my dad started. Yeah. Mike and, and dude, at the Olympic, yeah, and, and that was cool, man. Because I would go to the Olympic and see stuff and everything too. So I knew Jesse. I would see Jesse, and then when Roma suggested that, that that I go to Jesse, you know, that's when I ultimately found out where he was and stuff. And I went to San Bernardino, and literally his his, his training place. And I'm sure you were there. It was that that room. It was maybe 12 feet by 12 feet. A ring barely fit in there. And there was holes in the ceilings, holes on, on the side of the walls because 
when, when you hit the ropes, your elbow would hit the, the or whenever you were going to suplex somebody or whatever, yeah. feet would go through the roof and stuff. So it, it was such a cool vibe back then because it was so old there, school. And it there, reminded, there was no big, huge like training centers like what the, uh, no, the performance no. centers like WWE has now. It was wrestling Nothing. back in the day when you wrestled. You you trained, got trained in a, like an old warehouse or a backyard or yeah. that's the way it was back then. So you're saying, it, and it was dirty. It was grimy. Yeah, for yeah, sure. uh, yeah. And it, it was. It stunk. It, it, I mean, it, it was raw and dirty. And like you said, it's nothing like what everybody trains in today. You know, it, it was completely different, and it was rough, and it was old school. And one of the things you know that I really appreciated, and I know you and I have had these conversations, is that we were tough because they weeded us out and they weeded people out back then, because right. if you couldn't hang, then you weren't going to be allowed in the business or around to do any shows or do anything. So they would literally beat the shit out of you to see what you were made of. Yeah. And yeah. if you couldn't hang bye. That uh, very, very true. Like they, they didn't want to train you. They almost wanted to take your money and then not train you. But then all of a sudden, like they, they wanted only like the top of the top, the tough, the tough people who could actually handle this business, especially back then. Um, and not to compare it now to them, it's totally different times, but, yeah. but back then it was just different. It was like the wild west. And if you, you really had to want it back then, like, because I, I, I hate to, to compare because it's, it's two different things. There's apples and oranges, yeah. both fruit, but two totally different things. Um, yeah. Back then there was like those nice training facilities, you know, like, you know, the, the WWE Performance Center is so nice, man. It's like, I'm yeah. at like a, this beautiful training center, like an, almost an NFL training center. thing. It's almost it's a resort is what it yeah. is. Yeah. It's awesome. I'm happy. I'm totally happy that the wrestling has come that far. But, um, you know, it's, it's almost a pleasure being there. So when you were back in the day training in an old warehouse and driving an hour or two hours just to get there and, you know, paying money and eating a freaking hot dog or, a, you know, the fruit on the side of the road just to eat, it's because you really wanted it. You really had yeah. to want wrestling. They, they weren't looking at you. They weren't like scouting you. It just, that's not how wrestling was back then. It was like, hey, you're, uh, you want to be a wrestler? Okay, here, pay your $3,000 and then I'll try to train you and then hopefully I don't have to train you and just take your money. <laughs> yeah. And it was funny because the, the, they would get the $3,000 for you. And then they would hope that you would quit after one session, man. And they, yeah. and, and they would just take all that three grand, you know, and, and that happened a lot, by the way, you know? Absolutely. So, uh, but yeah, and, and, and it's funny too. And again, no comparison to then to today, but sure. back then you had, and even when we were on the road and stuff and we were running and all that, there, there's a difference today. And I, I, I'll say this as honest sure. as I can, and, and it's nothing against anybody, is that back then, they, was, they were tough guys. And there were men yeah. who, who were doing this, right. you know. And I know there's a lot of kids today doing this and everything. And unfortunately, I really don't think a lot of these kids would have been able to endure what we endured, unfortunately. And it's nothing against them. It's just It was just a whole different time. And when we were rolling and stuff, it was more about being one of the boys and, and protecting the business, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Well, too. And what I say to that a lot, like back in the day, there wasn't, there wasn't MMA. There wasn't UFC. No. There wasn't that stuff. Like no one really knew about that stuff. It's either if you're a tough guy and you still wanted to be in a tough guy business, 
you either try to be a pro boxer or you became a bouncer or you became a pro wrestler. It's like, yeah. there wasn't a lot of avenues. Now, you know, guys like I'm a good fighter, so I'm going to try UFC or I'm going to try, you know, jujitsu or whatever. That, that wasn't really, not that it wasn't around. They just didn't do that back then, you know? No. So like tough, good, like you had to be extremely tough to be in pro wrestling. I don't even know if I could have made it back in the day, like my dad's era and stuff. Cause it was. So, oh so yeah. Tough. Yeah, man. They were so yeah. tough, and and not to compare. I I I see. I don't want to be one of those guys that's always like comparing nowadays. Well, in my day, you know, we walked uphill yeah. and you know, <laughs> back in the day, in the snow, and but yeah. I, I just I do see a difference, and I see the difference in um, just 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 like the mental toughness of all of these. Yeah the wrestlers back then to, to now for the most part. So I, I, I don't want to, you know, there's, there's still tough guys out there. Don't get me wrong. For yeah, sure yeah. There is. Uh, but you know, compare and, you know, people ruffles, people's feathers, whatever it is, what it is, but it's like saying, you yeah. know, uh, football, you know, back in, you know, in the sixties when you could hit the quarterback and, you know, in the forties yeah. when they weren't wearing face masks, it probably was a little tougher than it is now with concussion yeah. stuff. And it's probably a good thing we've moved this way. But yeah, but definitely back in the day, they were those, those they were men, <laughs> you know. Yeah, and, and, I, and that was what, the thing. What, what under, remember what Undertaker said when he said, like, dude, we were in the in the locker room, and most every one guy had a had a knife in his boot because you know things were gonna go down, you know, things yeah. would happen. You yeah, were in a different time. And and that was a thing, like when you and I were rolling on the road and whatever, dude, that we were always down for a fucking brawl or whatever. When we would go out or whatever, dude, it was always on because you yeah, just yeah, never knew. No, there, there were no cell phones and there weren't no people getting nope. sued for that. You, 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 you got to fight and mm -hmm. you were hitting people or trying not to get stabbed and you were running out of the, <laughs> out of the bar. And, 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 and the thing is too, you know, you may have got your ass whooped once or twice, but you, yeah. you live to fight another day, man. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. No, totally. That's, that's funny. It's cool to see that uh, when I talk to people like that, they're still from that era because it's, it's, it's lost, you know, things aren't like, aren't it the is. same as they were there. And it's, and it's a good thing that it's changed because of, you know, cell phone cameras and, and things yeah. that you shouldn't be able to get away with. But at the same time, yeah. I think everybody's so, um, we're so soft now, you know, I mean, all of us, you're so like, you know, oh, I'm going to sue you back then. It was like, Hey, you want to get a problem? Let's go outside and let's, let's fight. You know? Or go in the shower stall. Yeah. Yeah. No, you totally. Know? Go fight back there. Yeah, totally. Absolutely. So absolutely. So from there, so now you got trained, Jesse started yeah. paying your dues a little bit. You started doing indies and stuff? Yeah, I started doing all the indies that I could up and down California. And mind you, there wasn't many indies to do because, you know, a lot of people weren't running in independence like that. You know, it was right. a lot of spot stuff and everything. So I, I really started working primarily for, for Jesse. And then ultimately when um, – I started, you know, getting a little bit more experience and stuff. I started working for different guys. As a matter of fact, I worked for uh, Bill Anderson, who was Melissa yeah. Anderson, cheerleader Melissa. He yeah, started booking me. Yeah, he started booking me. And it's funny because people confuse him with Bill Anderson and Jesse Hernandez. Sure. But Bill was, was a promoter, like in the Bakersfield area and stuff. And, and Bill took oh, a they, shine to they, me. Are they different guys? Yeah, different guys, different guys. I yeah, Bill so, Anderson, there was a wrestler with Jesse, and there was another. Yes, oh, oh. and there's another Bill Anderson, and Bill okay. Anderson, mm -hmm. cheerleader Melissa, Melissa Anderson, mm -hmm. that was her dad, and he was booking up like in Bakersfield, Fresno area. Mm -hmm. So, okay. so he knew Bill and Jesse, and you know, so he took a shine to me, and and he started booking me up on his mm -hmm. shows. And again, you do the the drives to to Fresno and Bakersfield and stuff, you know, back in, back then, I mean, it was really going in. And, and I remember I, I made maybe 20 bucks and, and had to drive maybe three hours to Fresno. 
for, for 20 bucks. Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. You, know? you didn't do it for the money. You did it because you no. loved it and you wanted to like just advance yourself. And there was no guarantee like, Oh, I want to try to make it. No. To WWE. I want you're just, this is what you did on the side. And it was kind of, like you loved it. Cause you love, you just loved doing it. Yeah. And, and, and that was the thing too. There wasn't any, you know, recruitment stuff. There wasn't any scouting. There wasn't anything like that. It was right. all word of mouth, man. And, and, and your, your reputation perceived you, man, or preceded you. And that, that was the thing. It was a lot tougher to get back in the business back then. And again, kayfabe was still alive and well back then. So mm-hmm. if, if, if they didn't feel that you belonged, then, you know, you weren't going to get booked and, you know, people weren't going to, you know, help you. And, you know, that, that, that's, I think, a major difference today, too, is there's so many resources out there now for kids and people who want to get into the business, you know, that it's cool, you know, and, you know, like you and I have helped train people and, and, and help people out and stuff, but it was different back then. And again, no comparison to today because it's night and day, but it was just a whole different time back then. And I'm really, really humbled and honored that I was able to get that tail in and be a part of the old school because, that's who we are, bro. Yeah, no, for sure. No, I, I, I'm with you on that. That you went from, how, how did you get, let's go, let's jump forward. How did you get the call to WWE? How did that come about? I would Cause, bug cause the that's like a whole shit other, out that's of a whole, That's a whole nother universe. That's like being in a whole nother universe. That's dude, like being that, on earth and going to Mars. Especially back then. Yeah. <laughs> you know? There was no emails. There wasn't any of that bullshit. It was right. all, it was all tapes. It was all whatever, you know? And if you knew somebody and, and that was a thing, if you didn't know anybody, you weren't going to go anywhere. And, and, and that was the thing. So I actually started uh, sending tapes to uh, all the promotions, WCW, uh, ECW, uh, WWF at the time. I, I remember sending stuff to JJ Dillon. I remember sending stuff to JR. I mean, I remember stuff, sending stuff to Polly. I remember sending stuff to Bischoff and, and all right. these guys who were there. And I just started letting people know who I was and stuff. And, and dude, I would literally make like handmade um, resumes and stuff and, and photos. What I would do is I would take a photo on a laptop or whatever, and then I would go cut and paste it and stuff. And uh, dude, it, it was crazy. The stuff that you had to do back then to, to really get, because there was no social media, there was no Photoshop. There wasn't any of that stuff. You know, if you had a photo and you had a tape and everything, you had them right, snail right. mail it. And, and all that and then when you mailed it off you weren't guaranteed that they even got it because more times than not you know when, when you know what you know now it's like they probably looked at it and threw it in the trash man absolutely you really yeah there, there was no like hey, oh, did they you know click on my youtube link and then oh i can see who clicked on it and who didn't know back then it was like you sent yeah. the the vhs tape and that's probably the last you heard of it you know to throw yeah, it away and- basically yeah and, and there wasn't any social media or blue check marks where people could go look at your matches and, and, and all that good stuff, you know, it, right. none of that stuff, you know, and it's crazy because today, you know, people are always uploading their matches and look at me and this and that and everything. It was like, all right, different times, man, but I'm glad I was there. Oh yeah. No, no, totally. Totally. So you bugging the heck out of these guys. And yeah. So I, I started bugging these guys forever, man. And mind you, once I started figuring out who I needed to call and stuff, I actually called information one time, uh, Stanford, Connecticut, and I got the number to WWF offices and stuff because I, I what I would do is I would look on the back of the VHS tapes and everything, and I would yeah. look to see what, what, what the company was or where the company was at. 
uh, Main Street, Stanford, Connecticut. Oh, okay, so I, I would find the address, whatever. So then I would call information. Can I have the, the number to WWF? And that's how I got the number to WWF, dude. So then I started calling and I started telling them, hey, I'm Marty Rubicaba, I'm referee, blah, blah, blah. Leave messages, you know, right. all, all that good stuff. You there? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, you just went upside down. Yeah, yeah, totally. No, I, I? I, yeah, you, it's no, but you went upside down again. I don't know why, but whatever. <laughs> Wait, yeah. Uh, no, that yeah, it's, I totally know what you mean. Like I, I had, when I first started trying to break in, I got Paul Lee's number from Eddie and I was training in, in, in um, um, El Paso with Eddie living out there training for wrestling. Literally I was call I'd call Paul every single week and leave a message. And you know, he wouldn't call me back every week, every week, every week. I kept calling and kept calling. And kept, I probably called him 30 different times. I felt bad because I kept leaving yeah. a message every time, every time, you know, eventually the guy's going to come back. And when I started in, in WCW and I had my first debut match, that's when he called me back. <laughs> wow. Yeah. Yeah. See, indeed, it, it's crazy because I actually uh, bugged him so much. And then, but, but here's the thing too, man, with, with Roma and stuff, Roma was trying to get back into WWF at the time and stuff after his w, WCW run and stuff. So it was, I believe early 96, I believe I, I actually hooked up with Roma and we did some WWE tryout matches, uh, no, actually for WWF back in the day. Him, him and a guy who, who was his cousin, uh, they were called the Pretty Primos, and I was called Mr. Ruby. So we, we went out to New York and New Haven and, and stuff, and, and, and we did some dark matches. And, you know, so I was doing dark matches for WWF back 96, 97, man. So as a, uh, uh, as, a, as, a as a manager, I, I was Mr. Ruby, man. So, Mr. Uh, Ruby. Mr. Ruby. So, uh, you know, I, I, I did that and, um, it, it was fun, man. It was fun. It was exciting. I was greener than green man. Had sure, no no clue. <laughs> and it was funny because I had no idea how this worked. So when Roma said that we had dark matches and stuff and they were going to fly me out, I quit my job. I quit my job because oh my I was God. getting, I was getting signed to WWF, man. So I quit oh my, my job. Quit I had no job. idea, had no idea about anything, quit my job and stuff. And then I, I came back home and I waited and I didn't hear anything and, you know, okay, don't have a job. What's going on? So I would call Roma. He didn't know. So then finally about after six months of this, Cornette finally called <laughs> and says, we don't got a job for you. You did have a okay. job? Didn't have a job. Cornette oh, called him. Yeah, Cornette called and goes, don't have a job for y'all. Oh, shit. What do I do now? You know, had to go get a job, man. So it's funny. You learn these lessons. And here's the thing, too, is that I didn't know that you got paid for dark matches. I didn't know you got the $200 draw. I, I, didn't, mm. I didn't know anything about that. And mm. I never got paid. So, you know, that, oh, that you never cool. got paid for it. Never, ne yeah. never got paid for it. man. And there you go. Green stuff. And, you know, yeah. not knowing. But uh, it was funny, too, because one of the things back, in, back do, in the day, that was cash. That was like under the table. Cash. cash and yeah. Done. Yeah. Right. yeah. <laughs> and sometimes that cash, that draw was the only thing you got. Yeah. Yeah, totally. Yeah. And so it was funny because one of the things that I do remember vividly is that somebody ribbed me and they put two padlocks on my suitcase. That was I do remember that. that. And that was great. And you know what? I didn't put it over. I didn't put it over, man. I just well, packed my bag, did that, that, walked out, didn't say a word about it. That was, Back in the day, they used to do this when they'd um, everybody would carry padlocks. And, you know, just to keep themselves sane on the road by ribbing each <laughs> other is that they would, when you didn't know it, they would put, you know, just a padlock on your 
on your luggage. So you got guys, you know, waiting at the airport and just kind of hanging out and we always wait till like the last ones to get on the plane and we're just sitting there. And then all of a sudden, like they have like a duffel bag and be sitting on the ground and they're padlock their duffel bag to the seat. And I said, okay, let's go to chip on. And all of a sudden you're like, oh, oh my God. So you had to rip your, just to get on the plane, you had to rip your, your Dude, that's funny you say bag that. oh, and a half man. just to get there. <laughs> yeah. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. You know, and, and it was funny, you know, that, and then, and then the fact that if you did put it over, they would do it more, you know, yeah. yeah. Oh, just, no, totally. just to get yeah, you, you. Can, just to get the you. Thing back, you couldn't, we call it sell it. You couldn't sell it. You couldn't put over their, you couldn't register basically their, their rib on you. Cause if once you did, it was like sharks in the water and people would be like, okay, this guy doesn't like, you know, like, you know, if, if somebody was like a bodybuilder guy and, would, and they're always asking, Hey, you know, do I, how do I look? How do I look? And you know, these guys look amazing and they're like so insecure sometimes. And we'd see them in the gym and be like, you know, we see them worked arms and I'd be like, Hey man, uh, what's going on? Did you stop working arms or what's going on? What are you talking about? Charlie? I mean, your arms looking a little small. Oh, I'm sorry. Are you, I was a sensitive subject. I'm sorry. And then someone else would say it and someone else would say it. And these guys would like have mental breakdowns because, yeah. because yeah, those guys took it seriously. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Hey, 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 bro, you eating right? You know? Yeah. Oh yeah. You know, stuff totally. like yeah. that. Yeah. Did the art, your gym close down? <laughs> we do that stuff all the time. And it's funny because guys were sensitive about that, man. Oh yeah. Sensitive about that. Especially back then, you know, because, because so that's what the- it was. Right, right, totally. So you get how did you finally get the job at WWE? Who finally called you? Tommy Dreamer actually called me, man. And mm-hmm. he because he had just gotten into the office back then. Right. And again, mind you, dude, I, I was doing all the independence. I went to Japan with Jiro One and Hashimoto and Mexico oh, right. and I went to Germany oh, so you, on my so own. You had, stuff. you had some 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 appearance. You had some some experience. Oh yeah. Yeah, yeah, man. And I, I, I started working everywhere I could and then before WWE, what, what I did is I, I went from Bill and Jesse and everything. And then when Rick Bassman and UPW started and they That's started right. doing what they were doing, I went to go work for them and stuff. And then ultimately, you know, I started getting a lot of experience with, with that. And then I started getting involved with stuff behind the scenes with Bassman and stuff. So I started writing his shows for him and, and booking for him and stuff. And, uh, you know, that's when, you know, uh, Prototype came in, uh, Lisa Marie came in, John, John, John Cena. Cena. Yeah. Pro- prototype. Yeah. Totally. Lisa Marie. Uh, yeah. Mike Knox was back there back then. Mike Knox. Yeah. Um, Nathan Jones, John Heidenreich. Yeah. Uh, Navajo yeah. Warrior. Yeah. Yeah. All those yeah, so, guys. Yeah. That was, a, that was a good crew back then. Man. It was, man. It was. And, you know, I remember, you know, Bassman would run the Galaxy and shows like that. I remember you and Ray Ray showed up, DDP, right. Conan, you know, so all these things were happening. And then it was great, you know, to, to be working with guys like that and, and, and learning and stuff. So before uh, I got the call from WWE, again, I was bugging those guys, but I was trying to do dark matches and stuff, which I did. So my first referee dark match that I ever did was in 2000 uh, for WWF, and it was at the mm. pond in Anaheim. And I, I went and I did it, and I came back through the, through the curtain, and, and, I, and I was up in Gorilla, and Earl Hebner was sitting there, and he turns and he looks at me, and he goes, your counts are too damn fast. And he walked away. <laughs> okay, okay, that's it. That's it. All right. <laughs> yeah. Thanks. So, uh, you know, th- that was it. But again, knowing, knowing what I know now, I know why Earl did it, you know? Sure. Sure. And then, so then you got a dark match, got, got, got the dark matches and stuff. And then what happened was, is that Tommy would call me and before I even had a deal, 
and of course they, they test you or they tested you back then is what they did is they started putting me on the road and they started putting me in different scenarios. I would go do fill in for SmackDown. I would fill in for raw. I would fill in for, for different things when referees were taking time off, whatever. So they started flying me out to different places around the country. And whenever they were in California, they would call me and, and I would go and I would fill in for people and stuff. And matter of fact, I remember working with you and Eddie at the Staples center. It, oh, it was really? uh, you and Eddie against, I believe it was Rhino and Sean O'Hara. Oh, wow. Sean O'Hara, dude. Yeah. And that was fun. That was fun, bro. That. I don't even remember. Yeah. That. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It was, it was a Staples center, bro. And yeah. I, and again, even though I've been kicked in the head 10,000 times too, man, it, it's cool because I remember those moments that mean something to me, man. And that was, that was special to me because I was th this guy trying to make it and stuff. And I got to work with you guys and, you know, it was really like things really just made sense then working with you guys. Yeah. You had to be on. And when you're working with us, man, we were, we were like a machine back then just going. Yeah. We, and we used the referees all the time. And what people don't realize in, in, in wrestling today, uh, your your referee that's your third or your fifth person in the ring depending on if it's a singles or a tag team but that i use the referee so much when i'm in the ring like i always tell you know, i'm i'm communicating through you so you better be ready you know and yeah. people, a lot of wrestlers too like now they're like they like don't even know who the referee is like the referee is so yeah. important of, of the match i mean they make they really do make that match yeah and and, and that's the thing that it was it was so great being in those matches with you guys and, and, and being able to work and, and learn because you guys were, were just so good at what you did and stuff. And, and, and I remember even getting to WWE and stuff, you know, it was like, catch us. Yeah. Oh yeah. Catch us. We you tell know? you guys, yeah, we tell the referee, if you could catch us cheating, then catch it, then catch us because we we were so good at doing it behind your back and that we would never do it in front of you. Anytime you turn yeah. your back, we would do stuff that we would tell them if you can catch us, then, then catch us, disqualify us. But, uh, you know, that's that's on us. Yeah. But, you know, it was great because you guys protected us, too, man. Yeah. You, you guys always protected us and knew because you guys knew how to work, you yeah. know, and you guys were working with us. Our big thing, me and Eddie and still to this day, and anytime I'm in the ring, is that you never want your heat what you're the one working in the ring you never want your heat to go to the referee what by that by that meaning is um when when the re when the fans are yelling referee you're blind you're blind that means that the referee's getting the heat and the the heel's not so yeah. that's why we were always like we want them to say referee turn around like oh my god these guerreros are so sneaky and assholes that the referee can't even catch them then the heat's on us, but so much at times you have the referee, you know, with his back turned like for like five minutes and you're like, turn around ref. You, oh my God, wrestling's not real because his referee's really not turning around, but we would do it so fast and so quick that even some of the crowd would miss it because you had to, you know, but we yeah. do it so often, they eventually see it. Yeah. Yeah. And, and that was the thing too, because whomever you guys were working with too, they would be my eyes and they would help. So, it, stuff would go down, boom, 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 and then get turned, you know, or Marty turn or, or you know, right. it was like that fast, man. Right. And I don't think guys have the ability to do that today because they're so concerned about being on TV and, oh, my God, missing a spot and stuff that everything back then just flowed. And even like when you and I worked together, I mean, if you and I were working right now, we just what's a finished travel and then everything else, you know, like we say, it would be yeah. Shakespeare, Shakespeare, brother. Yeah. yeah, yeah. You know, sometimes I don't know. Like, what's a finish? I don't know. <laughs> we'll find we'll out. We'll figure it out as we just, go, bro. All just right. Count, have just, fun. Count to, just count to three. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That, that's it, man. And, and I think that's a lost art form today. 
I, I really do. Yeah, definitely is. Wrestling definitely changed and, and um, evolved, like anything evolves and yeah. changes. So, um, you know, but I, I, I do think that that there's getting less and less people out there that's able to teach that. Now it's like a lot of, um, you know, moves and spots and stuff, which is fine. It's different things, but but it's just that's just a different way of working, you know. Yeah, yeah. And, and it's funny you say that about training and stuff, because, I mean, I'll, I'll call it out. You know, you, you, you call things as they are. I mean, you and I should be somewhere training people. I, I, I humbly believe that, man, because of the experience we have and what we do and in our careers and stuff and our body of work and stuff. But, you know, right. if that's not the case, we're still happy and we're still doing stuff. But I'm, you and I'm I good. have, I'm, have I'm resources. Good. <laughs> I'm good. And, I don't, don't want to go. And we're good, anybody, man. You know, <laughs> it's too and, much and, work, man. <laughs> yeah, but my, my point is, is yes. that you and I have been able to move on from from that and, oh, and oh, really sure. do some cool shit, you know, but at the same time, just like you said, there's there people aren't training the way they were and everything, but you and I have those skills to do it and we've proved it. No, I, I, I agree with that. Totally. Yeah. So now you get uh, you get the job at WWE. Now you're yep. working for them. You're on the road. You're going you know, you're traveling all over the world, doing your thing. And then you end up being the referee at WrestleMania main, a main event, WrestleMania with Undertaker and Sean. How the heck was that? Yes. I mean, because so so there's very few times too, like with as, the more experience you get, the, the, the more the longer you're in the business that the guys that you would just always watch and learn from start dropping off and start, you know, retiring and leaving and so at this point now there was you know not a whole lot of people that I would sit there and just watch and learn from and but this is one of those matches that gosh dang man Taker and Sean WrestleMania you know yeah they had two in a row just so amazing like they would that we were just watching these guys go and what a story it was just so amazing and then you're right there tell me about that yeah yeah and I always like to say that I earned that. Yeah. because of everything that i i did up until that point and stuff with all so the, the they wouldn't just put a random referee up for a no. wrestlemania match of no. the, as any wrestlemania match but especially the main event in wrestlemania no any i don't care whether they were the last match or not they were the main event of wrestlemania whether they're oh, yeah, second absolutely. last match or third last match they were the main event because just you you can't you couldn't beat them that you couldn't no. out story tell those guys so they'd no. only put the best of the best in there with them and if they didn't you know right away take her and sean would say oh, we don't want this guy in there <laughs> you know yeah and i i like to tell this story when people ask is that charles robinson was originally the assigned referee for that match like three weeks out and right. I have a pretty good relationship with Shawn Michaels, I'd sure. like to say. Yeah. And he and I traveled a lot and stuff. And, and, and I got to work with him a lot, a lot. And I got to learn from him, man. And yeah, yeah. He's a book of knowledge for sure. Yeah. And, you know, so driving him, traveling with him, flying with him. I mean, I, I got to pick his brain and stuff. And at the same time, Ricky Steamboat was my agent for a lot of stuff too. Mm -hmm. So Steamboat and I would work on a lot of stuff and all the time. And, and that's what a lot of people don't figure out and stuff, because I mean, I, I'm going to say it point blank. I'm the greatest referee. Who's not on TV. You know, I, I learned. I agree. I from agree. Thank you. Well, well look what you're learning. You're learning, from. you're learning from two of the best of all time telling you, yeah. don't do this, do that. Cause those guys use the referee all the time. They understood the importance of the yes. referee in that match. And yeah. Yeah, for anybody listening, um, re a referee, like, 
I, we get it sports entertainment and it's inter, you know whatever is not a, you know really fighting in there but that referee is, is essential in helping you tell that tell your story so a, ref, a good ref, a referee can make or break your match like i said before but yeah really really I mean, it, it's so essential to help tell your story um, by you know by catching you cheating by not catching you cheating by turning yeah. at the right time by just being a part of that story so you have two of the best of all time, Shawn Michaels, Ricky Steamboat, teaching you this. I and mean, then the other ones, yeah. Fit Finley and Arn Anderson. and Arn Anderson. And you know? all the guys. I mean, God, so many of the agents, Dean Malenko and, and Mike Rotundo and everybody that was there that were agents at the time that were sitting there and, and teaching you. I mean, it was like the top level of wrestling in the world. Dude, dude, I got to learn from Eddie. I got to learn from yeah. Chris Benoit, man. Absolutely. I mean, and I got to learn from Flair. I got to learn from all these guys. I got to learn from Vince, dude. Yeah. And, 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 and that's the thing, man. I would always ask. I would. I always wanted to be the best that I could be, man. And right. and, and I did ultimately, you know, start getting really good. And, right. and, and that's why, you know, I was placed in a lot of these high-profile matches because they knew. And Sean even told me, man, he goes, the reason why I wanted you in that match with me and Taker is because I knew that there was going to be three guys in that match who wanted to be there and we're going to make it happen. And we wow. did. We made, we made magic, man. No, for sure. That's why some of the best matches of all time right there. Just I, we just talk about those those two in a row that they had. They were God, they were so good. They were just like the ma- a masterpiece in wrestling, a masterpiece in storytelling. If you if you haven't seen those matches, go back and see what what, what WrestleManias were they? WrestleMania twenty five and WrestleMania twenty six. I mean, um, just amazing matches. And they're that's how you tell a story by not just using moves to tell a story, but actually telling a story. And they yeah. they got everybody to believe what they're doing it's amazing they really is yeah and what was really cool about that is you know of course being asked you know to to referee uh, from Shawn michaels i mean that that was my defining moment man and it was something that i i worked my ass off to get to right and being a part of that history i mean the greatest match in wrestlemania history is what many people consider it yeah i'm i'm honored by that man and, and, and if that's what people remember me for in my career you know I, I'm okay with that, man, because, you know, I, I got to that very top of the mountain, man. I, I got to work at the top of Mount Everest, man. And I got yeah. to work with two of the greatest ever and just those guys alone in, in, in their individual careers, man. I mean, but just to be in there with both of them at the same time and, and do what we did, it was, it was something that I'll never forget, man. Even though I've had some really other great moments and stuff, dude, Yeah, that's that right there to me was the pinnacle of everything that I had ever worked for and stuff. And People remember it and I'm, I'm honored by that. And I'm humbled that people do like that match and they bring it up and stuff, but it was something, you know, that I worked my ass off to, to get and achieve. And, you know, that's, that's what you work for. It, it wasn't about the money. It wasn't about being famous. It was about being able to, to be one of the greatest workers ever and stuff. And, you know, I, yeah. I, I was one of the greatest referees ever. So like you said, there was three great guys in that match and, we made no, magic sure. and we made history, man. Anytime you see that match, you're going to see two people in the ring and then you third, three people right there. So that's Absolutely. pretty awesome. Absolutely, man. So then you get there, you're, you're basically the pinnacle of wrestling. You're, yes. you're refereeing WrestleMania main events and you're, you're, you're up there. You're being a senior yeah. referee. And then what happened? The infamous kiss t-shirt. <laughs> Dude, I found that shirt in storage about two weeks ago. It was crazy. So, I actually um, got it right here. So at WWE in, um, 
um, they instated a dress code. code. So at a certain time, they wanted us to all dress business casual. And here, let me let me clear myself with my throat. Hold on. Yeah, hold on. Let me get a charger real quick, bro. All right, go ahead. Hold on, John. Yeah. Yeah. I smoke another one. Yeah, right. (laughs) Too early for that. Yeah. Cool. Cool. Yeah. So, okay, 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 John, we're back. So, WWE in they installed a dress code. And uh, anywhere you travel, we have to have, have like in business casual. So anytime this we're going casual. to work, I mean, on the plane, going to the airport, getting the rental car, they wanted us like, you know, in dress, you know, pants and, you know, nice shoes and a nice collared shirt. Collared shirt. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and belt and stuff, you know, shirt tucked in. They, they wanted you dressing like, a, you know, like a professional. <clears throat> so there we are. And we'd get fined if you weren't dressed like that. If they saw you out, you know, in, you know, with the t-shirt, um, like on a flight, you're not representing the company correctly. So you'd get fined at times. So then, yeah. So what happened was, is I, we were over in Europe for a couple of weeks and you know, those long tours, you go through clothes, you go whatever. Mm-hmm. So we come back to the States. We, and we'd be in Europe. We'd be in Europe sometimes for like a three week tour and we'd be mm-hmm. in, uh, yeah. 21 different cities, eight different countries in three weeks. Like literally yep. we would go from town to town to town to town and we would stay one night in a hotel and sometimes not even after the show, we'd jump on a bus and get to the next town. So, I mean, it was go, go, go. No, no chance to do laundry. You, you just, you, you couldn't. You were on the road, man. And, and that's right. the thing when people, when I hear people, go, oh man, I, I've been on the road. No, you haven't. <laughs> right. No, you haven't. You know, no, no, we, sure. we, we were on the road, bro. No, for sure. And yeah. So we came back and we were in DC and the only thing that I had clean uh, was a kiss t-shirt. So I was in ballet, I was getting my car and I had slacks on, I had dress shoes on and unbeknownst to me at the time, Kevin Dunn and and Johnny Ace were waiting in a limo. They were waiting for Vince. So Kevin Dunn seen me and he goes, Hey John, um, Marty's out of dress code. What are you going to do about it? And I didn't know that. So I get to the building. I do my stooge duty where I check people in, you right. know, which I hated that. But they always delegated that to the referees, all the shit work. So right, right, uh, right. so I, I did that. And I went into catering after I did it. And I was wearing my slacks, my shirt, and I had the Kiss T-shirt on. And I come into catering and it's John Laronitis, Mark Carano and Kevin Dunn. So I'm sitting there and Johnny's sitting and he's mm-hmm. eating and he looks at me and he throws down his fork. And he goes, Marty, what the fuck are you doing? You got a kiss t-shirt on. I go, uh, yeah. He goes, don't you know we have a fucking dress code? Yeah, John, sorry, man. What are you doing with a fucking very kiss t-shirt? Un- unprofessional cussing like that. If that's if that actually happened, that's super unprofessional. But okay, go ahead. So so that's what happened, bro. And I'm saying it now. So yeah, yeah. no, yeah, tell me, yeah, tell me. That's what happened. And I said, John, and, and you know what really happened, Chavo, is 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 I said, John, I just put it on. I'm sorry. And the reason I said that, man, is because he caught me off guard and, and, he, and he called me out right in front of Carano and, and yeah, Dunn. And, and, and I was like, and, holy and shit. He, and, and he's your boss. So I get it. Yeah. He's my boss. So I was like, oh, John, I said, I apologize. I said, I just put it on. I said, I'll go change now. I said, you know, I, oh shit. So at the time when that happened, I walked away and I was thinking, I was like, oh my God, I'm going to get suspended for 30 days without pay. Oh my God, he's going to find me a thousand dollars. So I was mentally prepared for that. Right. 
I didn't know that as I walked away. And the reason I found this out is because Jericho went to confront Johnny about it the Friday, mm-hmm. a- the Monday after at TV, after they mm-hmm. fired me. Mm-hmm. So what happened was what transpired is that after I walked away, Kevin Dunn turned to Johnny and says, Marty just fucking lied to you. What are you going to do about it? And Johnny says, I'll take care of it. And Kevin says, you need to fire him because WWE doesn't need fucking liars like that. Why did you, what did they think you lied about? I denied wearing the kiss t-shirt because they'd seen me. They'd seen me in the, oh. in, in the valet. Right. So when Johnny goes, what are you doing? I'm oh, sorry, John. I, I, I just put it on. I'll, I'll, sorry. I'll, I'll take it off. Oh, you know, gotcha. that, that's what it was. So oh. I, 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 I lied to an executive is what Kevin Dunn said. Gotcha. So, and even though, a couple months prior to that, I had worked the greatest match in WrestleMania history. Right. Go figure. You know? Well, well, I know that some people, especially, I mean, any business, but they're for sure, you know, some people get away with things and some people couldn't. Yeah. There was different strokes, different folks. Definitely favoritism for sure. You know, some people yeah. would get fined for this, something like that. Some people wouldn't, you know? Yeah. And then and, and to me, it was a political thing. Yeah. The main, it, exam- it was- the main example. Sure. Made an example of me, but, 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 you know, the, the, the thing, knowing what I know now and where I'm at today in life and career and stuff like that, it was just somebody stroking their dick and showing how big their dick was. Well, sure. That's, that's all it was, man. And, you know, I, I get that. I get that, but you didn't have to take away somebody's livelihood just to prove a point, man. Right. And, and, and I get that, man. And, and I look back at stuff today and especially that, that it, situation and stuff that was the greatest thing that ever happened to me by those guys firing me and letting me go i was able to go in trans i mean transition in in, in into what i'm doing today and, and right even though it sucked and it, and it and it was the worst thing at the time it, it didn't kill me and and it just made me better at what i did and then i was able to go do different things but it, it blows me away that things like this occur and there, there, there's nothing that you can really do about it because it all goes back to politics. It goes back to, you know, people trying to prove that, you know, that they have a certain authority or, or they can do this or they can do that. Right. But at the end of the day, I mean, what people don't really look at is like, you know, you're taking somebody's livelihood away just to prove a point. No. Yeah, for sure. There's other consequences of, of that. And, and, and I get it. It's, it. That's a tough, a tough one to uh, even. Yeah you know, even to try to decipher it, it sucks that it happened yeah. to happen, but it happened. from there, you know, we go, you go from, from WWE and next, you know, uh, now we're in like, I mean, this is when you give it a little, little bit of time. And then we get, end up in Lucha underground, a place that we yeah. were kind of trying to change wrestling, the landscape of wrestling. I think, I think we did, man. I, I, yeah. I honestly feel that the position that AEW is right now or mm-hmm. the TV deal and all the other stuff that they got, that should have been Lucha Underground. You know, Lucha Underground should have been in that second position and stuff, you know, but, you know, well, shit happens, man. Yeah, yeah. So so Lucha Underground, we, we it was a Mark Burnett production who does Survivor and, you know, and yeah. a bunch of other big old shows. And we were on the uh, Robert Rodriguez Network called El Rey. Yep. And, it, and none of us really knew what it was going to be at first. And it turns out to be a TV show about wrestling uh, in a sense. Underground. Like, yeah, it's a wrestling show, but disguised in a TV show. And really, the, what I loved about it is that we kind of did things so different, you know, by doing backstage, not just promos. We did, like, back, backstage, like, 
acting scenes and different things like that. And we really changed the landscape of wrestling. And then to have the big guys start copying stuff that we did was really that's flattering. It's, you know, the yeah. form of, 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 uh, of serious, the serious form of flattery is imitation, something like that. I don't know. <clears throat> Anyways, but imitation is the biggest form of flattery. There you go. That's what I was trying to say. But uh, definitely that that's a, a, it was a huge compliment for sure, but some man, I I I I miss Lucha Underground so much because I thought we had so much potential and just oh man, hey, man, it's like God, there's so many. You know, that's that's to me, it's one of those cases. There was too many chiefs and not enough Indians, and not to be political like that, but seriously, like there was too many people trying to be the boss and not trying to do what was right for their company. You know? Yeah, and you know, it was great. Chavo, because we had such a core group of guys who were really running that whole thing, man. It was you, me, Joseph, Eric, Tony, Conan and stuff. And and I I remember every morning, dude, we would always come in and we would always go into those creative meetings and we would we would start just getting stuff going, man, throwing ideas and just, you know, being creative. And what about this and that? And we would sit there and go over the scripts. Look at the wrestlers that came out from that, you know, Pentagon, Phoenix, Brian Cage, Willie Mack, um, you know, Taya, Prince Puma, Prince Puma, Ricochet. God, there was so many. Mil Muertes. Mil Muertes. Yeah. Yeah. Ricky Banderas. God, there were so many people that came out of there that were just are now sometimes at the top of wrestling right now. So it was was really cool to see that. And, and you know what I, I I love to say, Chavo, is that we made those stars. Yeah, you, you know, know we, we 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 developed those stars. I like to say that we we had a hand in um, polishing them because they were already <laughs> they're already stars. They were already these guys yeah. were already awesome. We had a hand in, in helping them a little bit um, get to where they needed to be. But God, these guys are they were you know when I first saw these guys, I was like, wow, these guys are really really good. Yeah, and you know what was was crazy about that is that I remember that that we had asked for specific people from AAA and stuff, and those are the folks that they gave us. And all of a sudden, you know, once they got to Lucha and stuff, it was like boom, sky's the limit. Yeah, they saw how good these guys could be and how um, yeah, you know, with a little guidance, what these guys could actually do, and now take the ball and run with it. You know, yeah, man. And and you know, it it was great being a part of that, man, because just the 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 work and, and and like you said the way they they shot stuff and you know skip chasing doing what he was doing with all the vignettes and stuff and, and just right. the way it was shot it wasn't like a normal you know television show it, it was shot completely different it was shot, it shot had like that a comic rhyme book. yeah it shot like a it, comic book we would call was in the in the room sometimes when we'd be colorizing the the actual the actual film actual what the footage and colorizing it to maybe look more like like um dirty and gritty and stuff so it was it was really yeah. cool to see that yeah yeah, man. I miss it. I miss yeah, it. I no, really sure. do. I think the wrestling fans miss it too. But then from there, we were doing kind of two at once and went from, from uh, Lucha Underground. And uh, I had got a call from this Netflix TV show called Glow and needed a ring guy and needed a, a ring technician. I go, hey, what are you doing? Come on over. <laughs> yeah. Thank you that, for that. You know, that, 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 that was amazing. Right. Well, how yeah. good was that? Uh, you know, we it, went, that we went from like literally from WWE to Lucha Underground learning in, you know, the, the TV business and then going to really learn the TV business with, with glow. That's pretty amazing. Right. 
Yeah. And it was cool to be able to transition. And like I said, you know, getting fired from WWE was probably one of the coolest things that ever happened to me in hindsight, because I was able to go from that situation and go into Lucha Underground. But then, you know, real quick, Chavo, after Mm -hmm. I got released from WWE, I I went back and I worked a normal job for about a year and stuff. And then I said, no way, man, I I started doing, I I got back into rock and roll and stuff. And then I started going out and I started doing touring and all that other stuff with all these different bands. And then, you know, kind of transition and the Lucha Underground thing happened and then, you know, glow and stuff. So it was like, it was a transition that happened for me and it was an amazing you know, time to, to be like, wow, you know, I, I don't need WWE. You know what? It's funny. Cause I remember running into you at an indie show in Denver and you were there doing a concert for somebody. Was, and, yes. And then you were, you came to the show. I'm like, you're like, Hey, child, like, Hey, Mario, what's up? And you're like, you were doing concert stuff for some band. And I was like, oh, awesome. So you, I was out on the mayhem festival, dude. Yeah. 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 And, you know, speaking of which, you had another life before wrestling. <laughs> if anybody doesn't know, Marty was a huge rocker from back in the day. And this guy was like a was a regular back at the whiskey and the, yes. the Palladium and all those places in Hollywood. Right. The Roxy, the Troubadour, the Zaris. Wow. You know, I, I, w- I seen Motley Crue in 81. I mean, I was 15 years old when I hitchhiked to see Motley for the first time. And uh they, they, they just did something to me. And I said, this is my band. And even though I was a huge kiss fan and stuff, right. you know, I, I, I really, uh, really took a liking to Motley Crue and embraced what they were doing because they were raw. They were young. They didn't give a shit. And, you know, it was like, you know, we're, we're going to make it. And, you know, I mean, seeing Motley back in the clubs in 81, 82 and stuff before they got signed and before they blew up. I mean, these guys were on fire, man. And these guys were just killing it all the time. And, you know, to, to see Motley go from the clubs and, and, and really get out their hand and flyers out and stuff, which right. I still have a lot of the flyers that I got wow. personally being out there in front of the rainbow and, and the Roxy and stuff and right. guns and roses were out there. Poison were out there. The warrant guys were out there. I mean, it was just such a cool vibe. And, you know, you had David Lee Roth, who was always at, at the, uh, the Troubadour or, or the Roxy and stuff, you know, so all these guys was there and, and I was actually right in the middle of it. And I remember I worked for a band called Blitzkrieg in 84, 85 and Ron Kill had produced their record and stuff. And, and I was part, I, I was their, their drum roadie and everything. So I would set up all the drums and I would, right. you know, go travel with them and stuff, you know, so I was doing all that in the eighties and a part of that. And I always like to tell people that wrestling just kind of happened for me. Right. Well, sometimes rock and roll and wrestling kind of go hand in hand, you know, you'd like one. Yeah, they do. But that that's pretty cool. I mean, the whiskey, anybody knows the whiskey a go-go, any LA band started out the, at the whiskey. I mean, the doors, Van Halen, you know, Motley Crue, um, Rat. Um, Rat, yeah. Um, uh, no doubt. They all started, they all played there. That was it's such a small little, you're right. Small. You're on top of the people there. It's crazy. It's really. Yeah. Remember when you and I and uh, uh, Ricky went to see Fozzie there? Yeah, so we went one time and went and saw Chris Jericho's band Fozzie, and uh, we were up in the uh, in the dressing room with them. And I was looking around the dressing room. God, the stories this room can tell because anybody—that's oh, yeah. where every band. There's only one room to train it to dress in, and yeah. every band that ever has gone through there has dressed up there. And we were drinking, you know, some vodka with Jericho back the, up there, and that was pretty. I mean, I was like, nostalgia it was, it was right fun. There, you know? 
Yeah. And it was funny because that was Ricky's first time at the, at, on the sunset strip and, and right. the whiskey and stuff. And I'm all oh, bro, bro, this is awesome, bro. Yeah. yeah. bro. You know? Yeah. 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 <laughs> yeah that's pretty, that's, that's, yeah. that's crazy, yeah. man. It, it was the fun, whi- man. The whiskey, man. So the, you go from being a rocker to the wrestling man. That What's, what's up now? Like who's, who's the best bands out now? Cause I know you have some favorites, but you know, I'm kind of the I struts. The strut. Oh yeah. The struts for sure. That's the, that's strut, the, the struts. That, and that the singers, he, that's like true, like rock star right there. Right. Yeah. Luke Spiller, man. Luke Spiller is, is, uh, the real deal, man. As a matter of fact, uh, struts just released, uh, they just dropped a new single last Friday called low key mm. and love. And mm. it's cool because they, they're, they're expanding and doing different things, getting more mainstream and it's a duet with Michael Jackson's daughter, uh, Paris Jackson. It's oh, called wow. Loki and Love. Yeah, great tune, man. Great tune, great video, great vibe. You know, and it's funny because the Struts are like my band right now, even though I'm yeah. a big Motley guy and Kiss sure. and all that. But the Struts sure. are my guys right now and mm-hmm. really love that band, really have gotten into them. And, you know, it's cool because I have a relationship with those guys. You know, I got a relationship with Luke Spiller, man. And, you That's know. Cool the the struts the, their music literally saved my life you know it mm. really saved my life at, at, at a low point that i had a few years back but you know just and again music is so powerful man and, and that's why when i i have things going on or whatever i always turn to music because music is something that i could resonate and, and go back to and really be inspired or just picked up or just be motivated by it and everything so i don't care what walk of life you come from you like some form of music and right now you know my guys are the struts and awesome. hey luke no that's awesome no it's cool you know i gotta start get into those guys i just heard um wolfgang van halen's new stuff yeah wow. that guy's dude the prodigy man he plays all the instruments the guy's so good you know i'm i'm I'd be touring with his with van halen as a bassist and i thought he was just a bass guy now he plays you know drums and plays piano and plays yeah. guitar and he sings and he's like so good like like dude you, you know what's you know uh speaking of music and stuff so me being a rocker guy and all that my holy grail guitar pick because i collected guitar picks throughout the years and stuff right, right, right. even when i was at ww my holy grail is a 1981 fair warning Eddie Van Halen guitar pick. Oh, you have one. Oh, absolutely. Wow. Absolutely. Yeah. That, that's like my Holy grail, dude. The 81 Van Halen fair warning tour, Eddie Van Halen guitar pick. That, you know, I, I, it's cool because I got all of Eddie's picks from early eighties, all the way through the eighties, all the way through the nineties and the two thousands and stuff. So the Eddie Van Halen's are my Holy grails and stuff. And th- those are like under lock and key because it was King Edward. And sadly, you know, he's no longer with us, you know, sure. which hurts, you know, no, but, no, uh, no. Huge you know, loss. It, huge loss, huge, huge loss, loss. In, in the rock and roll world. I mean, one of the yeah. big guitarists of all time. I mean, yeah, man. I believe like, the best, but yeah. You know, like I tell yeah. people, you know, he, he he'll be my guitar player for the rest of my life. He was the guitar player of my lifetime. You know, there'll oh, never sure. be anybody like that, man. And it was cool because I got to see Van Halen numerous times and, and I was fortunate that I got to meet Eddie three times. So it was it was oh, awesome. Wow. Did, did you ever, did you ever see him at the whiskey? Where'd you see him at the smallest venue? Uh, smallest venue I ever seen him at, uh, was, I want to say it was, um, Gazzari's. Mm, that's I, I seen those yeah. guys and no, no, actually, you know, I take that back. I take that back. Orange pavilion. I take that back. Orange oh, pavilion, right. San Bernardino. Uh, you know, Cause I'm, I'm thinking Motley. So right. 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 Yeah. Orange wow. pavilion. Yeah. 
Yeah. yeah. So it, it was cool, man, because I mean, back then, I mean, it was like 82, 83 or whatever, you know, Van Halen was doing different things. And, you know, it, it was, it, it was crazy to see them. As a matter of fact, I, 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 I seen those guys, the form I seen them, God, dude, just all these different places yeah. in, in LA. Wow. That, you know? dude, that's so awesome. Now you've been kind of everywhere because with, with, you know, being touring with bands and seeing bands and being on the road with wrestling, What's your favorite city to uh, to visit or to work in? You know, uh, Tokyo, Japan. Tokyo, yeah, I love Tokyo. I love Japan. Tokyo. Japan. I don't know if you're going to say amazing, something dude. in Germany or if you're going to say something in Japan or what you're going to say, but Tokyo, man, what do you like about Tokyo? I just love the enthusiasm of the crowd, and and you know, I as a big uh, music fan, right? Uh, Tokyo and especially Japan always had the greatest vinyl. In, in, in the best music stores, man. And we, I remember Jer- that when me and Chris Jericho, we'd be traveling Japan, you know, before all the internet and all that stuff, we would go looking because his thing was, you know, music too. We'd go looking at all these underground vinyl places. Yeah. Yeah. And it was cool because anytime me and Jericho were there together, Masa would always take us to a place yeah. called Airs, and uh, uh, we would always go and stuff. And dude, you could find everything and anything at Airs in, in, in Tokyo. And it was cool because Airs was so famous within the rock and roll world. And it was an underground thing is that Jimmy Page from Led Zeppelin, Led Zeppelin actually went to Airs to get footage, rare bootleg led zeppelin footage because airs wow. had it yeah wow. so that, that, that's, that's how deep it. these guys were man dude that's awesome that's one of my favorite cities too man i, I love Tokyo. Yeah. just i mean just so many different things rapungi go down rapungi culture <laughs> the people the ko plaza you know yeah. all the places yeah i mean I, I i love that for sure man we're uh, getting close to being up close to an hour on here but um yeah, i i do something on um suplex and cervezas called um uh, rapid fire this is rapid fire questions that i kind of shoot at you and there's no right or wrong it's just for your fans to kind of know uh, a little bit more about you are you are you game sure yeah. all right man let's so, go brother all right so we'll, we'll go through some genres were you a um and back in the day were you an nwa fan or a wwf fan both i was okay. both be, yeah. be, because i appreciated nwa because those guys were more workers Sure. Work, work. Th- those guys worked. They it wasn't workers. As we they were the workers. Work, yeah. So, work. so WWF <laughs> back then to me was more of the, the bubble gum type thing with the Hogan's and all the other stuff right, and all that. Right. Sure. Whereas the NWA, the flares, all the road warriors and all that, those guys were the workers, dusty, no, no. Yeah. you know, all that stuff, you know? So I, 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 it was a combination of both. And the reason I say that is because my little brothers were always into the WWF stuff because they were kids. And, you know, so you, of course you watch that, right. but the purists and stuff in me was always the NWA stuff, watching all that old, other old school stuff. So it was a combination of both. For, for sure. For sure. Okay. Me being an, an ex eighties rocker guy too. Uh, were you a, a Judas Priest fan or Iron Maiden fan? Uh, Judas Priest. I'm a priest guy too. You know, I was, I Maiden was sometimes just too heavy for me back then. You know, I was, just, yeah. for some reason, I just love Judas Priest. And Dude, I, it, it, it's, it's fun. Go ahead. Sorry. No, no, it's so funny when people talk about, oh, back then, you know, we were, we would f- like fight anybody who said like, you know, oh, well, Rob Halford, he's, well, he's gay. And we're like, no, he's not. Oh my God, no way. Now I look back at it going, oh my God, look at his dress. He was the from the Blue Oyster, man. Like, so mm-hmm. 
Yeah, oh, yeah. <laughs> so oh, awesome. yeah. But, you know, it, it's cool, Chavo. You mentioned Judas Priest and Rob Halford. There's nothing wrong with that just back then. That no. Was a different climate, for sure. Yeah. yeah. But, you know, it's cool, dude, being in the rock and roll world and stuff and everything. I've actually got to work with Rob Halford, dude. I actually really? got to be his his driver and stuff for a, a few events that, that I've worked in, you know, Revolver Golden yeah, Gods awesome. and, and all these other stuff. You know, so I, I've been really blessed, man, to, to, to be a part of the rock and roll world as well, man. So I've got to work with Rob, and he, he's such a sweetheart and stuff. I remember I showed up late because of traffic la traffic and stuff and and i had to pick him up so i went to his hotel and went and got him and stuff went up to his room and and, and got him and, and i apologized for being late and he goes don't worry about it mate it's rock and roll this is what we do <laughs> okay that's awesome yeah that's cool. awesome all right so were you a rick flair fan or hulk hogan fan rick flair brother Ooh, woo, woo. And, and you know what's so cool dude seeing flair back then before i worked mm. with him before i knew him and stuff like that dude it, it, it was so cool to finally be able to work with him and, and, and to get to party with him yeah. and Great that guy. was another thing too that when you partied with the champ dude you partied with the champ no for sure for sure i had to steal a bunch of uh um bar tabs from him just to pay him because he'd never let me pay he'd always pay everything so no that's his, dude that's, and, that's his thing that's his thing dude and, and and it was crazy because he would actually get upset if you tried to pay the tab yeah. oh no for sure yeah you know? and you know it, 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 it was cool but one of the cool memories that i have working with flair dude is we were over in europe and i had just found out that my dad was in a coma I was mm. over on tour mm. and my dad had been in the hospital. And your, and dad stuff. Was, your dad was an OG. He was from Ooh, brother. He was OG brother. homie. Oh, he was brother. Deep, deep, deep. So, mm. so he, he was in a coma and I just found out and I was working, we were in Manchester, England and I was working. Uh, and, and again, this goes back to being able to work with all the greats and stuff and, and having those opportunities. It was Piper and flair as a tag team champs against the spirit squad oh wow and wow. <laughs> yeah yeah dude talk about amazing so flair's making his entrance and everything and all that mm -hmm. and of course you always go hold the ropes for the champ and stuff right. so as i as i go over to hold the ropes over open for the champ rick is getting in and as he's getting in in between the ropes and stuff he goes i'm sorry to hear about your dad kid oh man. got goosebumps dude that's cool yeah yeah that's much love for flair yeah, I know for sure, for sure. And for Roddy too. Yeah. So were you a uh, Rick Steamboat or Rick or Randy Macho Man Savage? I'm a Steamboat guy, dude. Steamboat. Steamboat guy. Totally. Steamboat. There's just something about Steamboat, dude, that which I like to feel that he he helped me a lot with this, dude, is you're able to flow, dude. There was nothing rigid about Ricky Steamboat and the yeah, way he worked and stuff. He fluid. was just smooth and Super fluid. And, and like Steamboat would always say, flow like water, flow yeah. like water, yeah, you know, yeah, your steps, sure. your movements and stuff. So Steamboat is Flair, uh, of course, you know, I, I love I love Hogan, too, because I was able to work with Hulk Hogan, too. No, yeah, yeah. No, so, so this is the right or wrong answer. It's just, you know, this yeah. Is, yeah, I get it. Steamboat. Uh, yeah. Uh, blondes or brunettes? Brunettes. Boom. Um, yeah. Are you a vintage car fan, a classic car, or a new car guy? I love old Mustangs, man. Yeah. I old Corvettes. Mean. Yeah. Yeah, something Definitely. about them. They got just the, just they have so much uh, character, right? Yeah, my, my dream car is a hard top 1967 cherry uh, 
uh, custom uh, Mustang. That, nice. That's my dream car. Yeah. Love it. Love it. Uh, you like you like baseball? Are you a, a a Los Angeles Dodgers or a Los Angeles uh, Angel fan? Angel fan. Love Angels. baseball, yeah. dude. I I played baseball in high school and right. I was pretty good, you know. And again, it goes back to being an athlete and, and being able to do stuff. Man, I I played semi pro up until the time I was like twenty three years old, man. Oh wow! And yeah, so yeah. I, I love baseball and I'm glad baseball's back. Matter of fact, this afternoon I'm going to watch my nephew who plays. Oh, nice. So love going yeah, out baseball, there. Baseball's back. I got to make myself out to a to a, a, a angel game here soon. Dude, dude, we got to go. Yeah, gotta go. I'm down, I'm down. This is I always ask anybody in the wrestling business this question: uh, Waffle House or Cracker Barrel? Waffle House, brother. Waffle, yeah. The cover, uh, scrambled cover. eggs, scrambled eggs and toast, bro. Smothered, covered, and whatever they're called with oh, the yeah. hash browns. Dude, <laughs> dude, Waffle House. I mean, if you've never experienced a Waffle House, man, you need to do that because those were literally the only things that were open at three o'clock in the morning when we were driving 600 right. miles, you know? No, totally. And that's why I always ask that question because if we could get a cracker barrel in the morning, then great. But so many times we were just like, you know, at, at you know, four in the morning, just trying to get some food and you get a waffle house and you're like, Oh, thank God. You know? Yeah. Yeah. And it was funny because you would walk in man and the, the, the cooks and the waitresses, what's your order, you know, smoking and taking the order and you just go, okay. <laughs> you know? You there? Yeah. Okay. There you're back. You're back. Okay. You froze for a second. No, no big deal. We'll, we'll edit that. Yeah. Out. You too. <laughs> okay. No big deal. Uh, yeah. Waffle House for sure though. Uh, okay. So this is the, the Holy grail of questions for you. Are you sure. a Motley crew or kissed fan? Motley crew. Wow. Over kiss. Get out of here. Over kiss. Over kiss. Yeah. And, and, and the reason being is because, Kiss was already established and everything in 77. Sure. And of course, in 76, when I first got turned on to Kiss, they were larger than life. They were, right. oh my God. But when I got to see Motley Crue, I was 15 years old and I was and already out. starting to, I was starting out. I was already getting into trouble. I was already, you yeah. know, a rebel and, and, and life at home was dysfunctional and, and all this other right, shit. Right. So for me, Kiss was more especially like towards 77, 79 is, is, is they were more oriented, oriented to the, the younger kids and, and, and flashy and super kiss and the costumes and all that. Whereas when Motley came out in 81, they were raw. They were, they were hungry. They were, they were nasty. They were, they, they really didn't give a fuck, man. And I was I, a 15 year old kid. Yeah, you, you, you grew with them. Yeah. And, you, you grew and up I with them. Grew up with them, man. And as a matter of fact, you grew up, you know, you grew up with, with Molly Cruz. So, yeah. And they grew, grew up, up with you. So, yeah, I get, yeah, totally. yeah. So, I, uh, you there? Yeah. So, I, uh, oh, yeah. I actually have Motley Crew tattooed on my leg. Oh, wow. You know? Steve yeah. And, got, and I got Steve Nick, Rich has it on his arm. Yeah. So, I got Nikki Six and Mick Mars's autograph tattooed on my leg, you know? Oh, wow. Uh, yeah. Yeah, so I uh, have that tattooed on my leg and stuff because, you know, those guys, like you said, they're, they're the soundtrack of my life and stuff. And, you know, I was influenced by a lot of the things that they did and stuff. And, you know, right. and, and, and here's the thing that I'll tell you. When I was on the road with WWE, I was touring. I, I, I was doing what, what, what I wanted to do because when I was 10 years old, I wanted to tour. I wanted to be in a rock band. I couldn't do that. So when I finally got on the road and stuff, I said, you know what? I, I'm not touring rock and roll, 
but I am on tour. I am going to different cities, different countries, and I'm on the road for two weeks at a time or whatever. So I said, you know what? I'm going to party like Motley Crue. And that's what I did. <laughs> you know? Yeah. And that's, that's dangerous. When, <laughs> that, that's yeah, dangerous. It, 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 it was dangerous. It was dangerous, man. And there was many a times where I went, Oh my God, why am I doing this? But you know, dude, I was in motley mode and I was like, I'm on the road, I'm doing this. But again, I never did the partying where I hurt anybody or I had anybody do anything stupid, whatever. When I was partying, I did the partying for myself. And and a a lot of times I did it privately, you know, where I just went off and did my own thing and stuff, but I was whatever, you know, motley crew. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, yeah, totally. totally. Would you, now you saw Motley Crue and uh, um, Guns N' Roses come up too. Would you? Are you still a Crue fan over over Roses or GNR? Oh, definitely, definitely, man, definitely. Yeah. Uh, yeah. As a matter of fact, dude, you know the last four years I've been working backline for Vince Neil, you know his solo band. Oh, nice. Yeah, yeah. So oh, yeah, cool. Dude, know you know, yeah, yeah, man. Talk about coming full circle, man. I mean, you know, being able to work with Vince and be on stage with Vince, you know, on, on the side of the stage, him singing Dr. Feelgood, Livewire and stuff like that. You talk about That's a awesome. fucking surreal trip, dude, that, oh, my God, I was 15 years old when I seen you. And I, I, I get to work with you now, man. And I get to be on stage with you and you're singing yeah, these songs cool. that resonated. Dude, it, it, it's fucking surreal, dude. But again. It's like if you have dreams and you have ambition and you have drive, dude, go do whatever the fuck you want to do, man. You know, like, like don't don't become a victim to any one business, man, whether it be wrestling or whatever, dude, go out and do whatever the fuck you're going to do and do it well. I agree. I agree with you. There's times that I'm doing stuff with uh, like Mike Tyson now and stuff. And I remember watching Tyson fight, you know, and being such a big yeah. fan of his. Wow. You know, as a kid and go, gee, and now I'm, you know, I'm like, Hey Mike, Hey Chavo. <laughs> you know, it's pretty cool. Yeah. Surreal. So, huh, man? Uh, work at, work at anybody. Yeah, no, it is, man. For sure. For, for sure, man. It's cool. Life, you know, the life, life is a cool roller coaster. So it's a ride, man. It's, it's a marathon, yeah. not a sprint. So. Absolutely. Right. Where can anybody find you now, man? What do you, where can they find you on um, social media and what you're doing? Oh, dude, I, I, I'm so low key now, especially when it comes to professional wrestling, bro. The only thing I, I don't even watch it or nothing, but uh, people can find me. Right. The only social media that I have is Instagram and it's Marty okay. underscore Elias underscore one. And that's the only thing that I have. I don't have a Facebook. I don't have a Twitter. I don't have a gotcha. TikTok. I don't have a website. I, you know, I, I just keep it real. And I have social media sure. just to entertain myself and, and to make it um, uh, something, you know, that, that, that people uh, can, can, can go and be motivated by. I, right. I, my social media, I like to make it appealing, dude. I really do. No, all the sure. negativity that's in the world and all that, you know, it, it's one of those things. So it's there. But I will say this, man, you know, that I actually uh, am doing an appearance uh, May 14th and 15th for Squared Circle Expo in Indianapolis, Indiana. So uh, awesome. uh, kind of getting back into the wrestling thing for a little bit because, you know, it's funny because as much as you don't want to be a part of something or you moved on whatever it's still kind of it's there whether you like it or not and i'll always be a part of it which i'm i'm grateful for so i just booked that and um Man, it's I love been those great. things, dude. I, lo- I love those Russell cons and those, uh, you know, anytime I get to meet fans like that and see yeah. people that are big fans, it's really, it's, I just love meeting people like that. It's a lot of fun talking to them, getting to know their story and, you know, kind of interacting with them. That's something that I really do like. 
Yeah, Brother, yeah. I thank you so much for jumping on with me today. No, thank and, you, man. Uh, I appreciate it. Get his pants on.